Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Cathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Dr. Serena Boduco is a postdoctoral researcher at the Department of Psychology at Orebro University in Sweden. She earned her PhD in 2017 with a thesis entitled Adolescent Sleep in a 24-7 Society, Epidemiology and Prevention. Serena's research focuses on the factors that may exacerbate or improve adolescent sleep, the relationship between sleep and mental health, and the potential of school-based interventions to improve teenagers' sleep health. A very warm welcome, Serena. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And congratulations, Serena, because we are highlighting you as our researcher of the month at Tooled Up Education for the month of June. Thank you. It's an honor. So we're very excited about your work and we want to highlight some very, very recent work that you've been doing on sleep deficit in adolescence. But we'll come on to that. I just want to sort of mentioned that we seem to have certainly in this country, I know you're based in Sweden, but over here in England, we seem to have a sort of a problem with teen sleep. I think anecdotally, we understand that sleep has been, you know, teenagers are quite sleep deprived nationally. And maybe it's not really a topic that people take seriously enough. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that. But I think that it's also, there is more and more research and more and more interest in this area as well. So, and I am actually working on a review of adolescent sleep around the world. And we have to remember that this is a universal pattern that adolescents are sleeping less and less. So we see this in every country, but some countries are worse off than others. And I think Swedish teenagers are some of those that are still sleeping quite okay, while others like, for example, in the States and uh, Asian countries are sleeping less. So there are some differences. I'm sure it's a very complex answer. It's a complex question. But what would be the main reasons for those, say, differences between what's going on for US teenagers that potentially wouldn't be going on for Swedish teenagers? And that's a very good question. And I think, as you say, it's very complex because it has to do with how society also um, sees sleep and how important that is, how the family works and socioeconomical issues within the country so it's really very complex so i'm i'm not really sure why swedish teenagers would be protected but we have some very good parenting programs and maybe that helps it could be one reason well serena i have to say in my notes you've just published something called preventing sleep deficit in adolescence long-term effects of a quasi-experimental school-based intervention study in the Journal of Sleep Research. And when we actually looked at that in my notes, I've highlighted in a big pink highlighter, one of the things that is mentioned within that is that parents' rules about bedtime were one of the most powerful protective factors for their children's sleep. That is certainly something that has been present within the research on sleep, hasn't it? That what goes on in terms of parenting style, parenting rules about bedtime are quite impactful. 
Yes, definitely. And uh, it's also very interesting that that's precisely the time when parents start to let the kids decide when they are going to bed because they feel like they are old enough to do that. And what we we should really try to send out as a message is that you should really keep your routines and keep a little bit of a control over bedtimes for teenagers because they actually need some help in that. And as you mentioned, we, we see that that it really works. That's right. I think it was Michael Gratisar's work that highlighted, I think he mentioned to us that the extraordinary impact that being authoritative with a teenager can have on, for example, suicidal ideation. You know, it has a tremendous impact on mental health, which I think people don't even think about. Yes, definitely. And also maybe framing it in a different way that teenagers do need help in getting to bed on time and they need help in controlling their use of technology, for example. That's something that we found out when we interviewed teenagers, that they felt like parents didn't know that much about their technology use at bedtime. But if they had rules, probably that would help. And it's quite difficult, isn't it, to sort of work out what the rules should be. Can you tell us a little bit about what research you've done on this particular issue of technology use before bedtime and what you might consider to be now optimal options for parents? Yeah, that's a very good question. So we've been looking at technology use in a bidirectional way so that it's not necessarily so that adolescents use technology and then they go to bed later. Actually, we don't have that much evidence for that, even though this seems to be the common understanding that technology use is really causing adolescents to sleep less and less. But actually, it might be that adolescents that have a hard time falling asleep use technology because they have to fill the time uh, when they are awake. So, And w- that's what we found, that it's actually really a bidirectional thing. It's not one causing the other necessarily. And also, we need to think that there are individual differences. Some adolescents might be okay at the time management and they might stop at the right time. When they feel tired, they will put their phone away. And some adolescents also express the fact that they need their phone to wind down before going to bed. And so when we remove that, then they don't know what to do. And they might start worrying and doing other things that are bad for their sleep. So I think we need to be a bit flexible about this issue and that families should really try to to be flexible in that. So there is no one size fits all Some families might want to have rules that everybody has the phone outside of the bedroom, even parents, because it's not just the kids having their phones in the bedroom. Absolutely. So it's about what we're modeling as parents. And as you've suggested and hinted at, when you have teenagers, I think our parenting has to evolve a little bit and potentially doing something as a family, you know, in terms of improving sleep hygiene is an optimal approach. Yes, definitely. So I think that there are a lot of excuses in this area, aren't there? You know, parents will often say, oh, they're teenagers, you know, their sleep rhythms are out of sorts and it's normal for them to go to bed late at night and it's normal for them to sleep in. And I think some of the things your research suggests is that we need to get back to basics and be quite really take sleep seriously. Yes, definitely. But that's a, a balance too, because some parents might also think that their teenagers are just lazy. And that's not the case, because it's true that th- there is a lot of biological changes and psychosocial changes that make them actually want to go to bed later. But 
I think we should think that they need some help in uh, keeping their sleep routines regular and we know that that's really the most important thing for sleep to have regular bed and wake times so going to bed a lot later during weekends and waking up late in the afternoon that's really really something that we should try to avoid as parents and i know that it's really hard but what we usually recommend is to keep it within a 90 minute different so you would still have a later morning but you wouldn't have this huge jet lag when you have to get back to school on monday yeah so try not to sort of have too much variation at the weekends or over the holidays because in the long run it's not that helpful yes exactly So let's focus on your recently published lovely paper, which focused on evaluating the long-term effectiveness of a school-based sleep curriculum, which sounds terribly exciting. Tell us why you wanted to focus on this area and why universal sleep interventions might be necessary and what that project entailed. So... um the focus on prevention or on universal prevention started with the fact that actually most adolescents in the age of 12, 13, this was our age group, they actually sleep quite fine. So about 70% actually get the 8 to 10 hours that they need. And therefore, they don't need to change their routines. They need to maintain that. And so universal prevention, what it does is that they, it goes out to, to the, the whole classroom and you can actually use the fact that most adolescents are sleeping fine to sort of give an example that that's a good thing and make it the the norm the positive sleep norm is to go to bed on time and what it also does is that it gives adolescents knowledge so that if they will have a period when they don't sleep well they have a good knowledge of what good sleep hygiene is so that they will be able to still sleep well and not develop sleep problems and that's a little bit of what we saw in the in the results because uh, we did a follow-up after one year and the adolescents that were in the intervention they had lower risk of developing sleep deficit over time which is a natural thing that we see in many studies that adolescents sleep less and less over time. And why do you think the school-based emphasis on sleep is important? Well This might be a little bit easier in Sweden. I'm not sure how it works in the UK and in other countries, but Swedish schools really have the mandate to work with preventing and promoting health and both physical and psychological health. So that's really part of their job. And also, if you think of school, the majority of adolescents will be there because when school is mandatory, you will find all adolescents there. And then it's really easy to reach this group that is at risk for developing sleep problems. So it's really the golden place to be if you want to prevent sleep problems and and promote good sleep health. So imagine if you or I were the head leading a school and we have a thousand adolescents under our roof. What are the things that we could do that we'd love to do that are optimal in this regard to really put in an impactful sleep intervention? So what we did was to integrate the the sleep intervention within the school curriculum. So adolescents actually had to do homework, trying out some of the strategies that we were teaching them. And we also worked on the fact that 
for adolescents to get to sleep, they need to feel like the day is over and that they have done what they need to do. And one of the things that they might need to do is to study and to do homework. And so we were trying to teach them strategies for time management and to really fit in the day all the things that they want to do. And one new concept is the idea of delaying bedtime because you haven't had the the time to do all the things that you would like to do. So not only the things that you need to do, like doing homeworks, but also meeting friends, watching your favorite TV show, hanging out with the family and all of these things that teenagers want to do. So we were really trying to help them out and uh, sort the things that they want to do during the day so that they feel satisfied at bedtime and go to bed when they are supposed to. And I think the school has a really big role in that because, well, as I said here, it's uh, part of their job to ensure that, that the teenagers are functioning well. And sleep is really important for learning. So it's really in their interest as well to work with these issues. And uh, as I said, the school workload is one of the reasons adolescents mention as uh, one of the reasons why they, they go to bed too late. So that's fascinating. I think from a parent's perspective, you're sort of inspiring us to think about how we can help our teenagers with that time management, because what you're describing is so familiar that like a 14 year old wants to watch some Netflix, they want to relax, they want to eat their dinner, they want to chat to their friends, they want to do some gaming, they want to do their homework. And it's really hard to try and fit all of that in before the 9.45 or 10 o'clock or 10.30 bedtime. Exactly. And one of the interesting things was also that we asked teenagers, okay, what do you usually do during the day after you come back home from school? And what would you like to do instead? And many teenagers uh, said that they would like to reduce the time that they spent on uh, watching TV and watching YouTube. So there you really have something that they would actually want to change to get time to do something else. For example, meeting friends face to face. That was something that really came up during the intervention, something that they want to do more of. So it's just about really providing them with a sort of a reflective space or a reflective some sort of document or template where they actually think through how they're spending their evenings. Yes, and we one of the, the homeworks was also to try and plan your time a little bit better so that you will actually fit some things that you need to do, some things that you would like to do, and so that you go to bed on time. So we asked them to fill in a little schedule of how they were going to do their homework and how they were going to make sure that they would go to bed on time. And were you sort of surprised by their general reaction? Were they very keen, enthusiastic? Did they enjoy that schedule on the whole? Or did some of them find it a bit tedious to sort of fill it in? Yeah, there was a lot of variation. Some some teenagers really didn't like it and some teenagers really liked it. And they said that they were using it afterwards when we came back for the, for the follow-up, that they were still using that sort of a scheduling. But some teenagers were also saying that, that this is really hard for me because I have football practice and I, I cannot change that. So they also have things that they cannot really affect themselves. And that's where... I think parents come into the picture because that's really true. Some things teenagers don't really have control over. And how involved were parents in this project and how important is parents' role in encouraging good sleep habits generally? 
So as I mentioned before, I think it, it is really important. And one of the messages that we want to send out is that parents should keep being involved in their teenagers' sleep. We sent out a brochure with information about the intervention and some suggestions on how they could help their teenagers. We were telling them what they were trying to do, for example, keeping a schedule that was pretty similar between the weekdays and weekends and how they could help their teenagers to do that. We also told the teenagers to ask for help, whether that was a friend or their families, their parents or siblings to, to help them out with different tasks. What we would have liked to do was also to meet the parents at the annual parental meeting and have them discuss these issues. But we actually didn't manage to do that, which I think it's also important to highlight that we actually failed in some parts because as a school psychologist told me, the school is a huge giant that moves really slowly and and we we didn't manage to to book in this meeting so that we could attend so this is what i would like to add i would like to to have parents much more involved in in this uh, program and one of the ideas was for parents to discuss whether they couldn't come up with uh, some rules about uh, technology use so that it wouldn't just be one teenager having rules but all the teenagers in a classroom coming up with a common rule and we know that this has been effective in other interventions with alcohol prevention for example so maybe we could try it out so that sort of peer intervention you know where they come up with they study something they do the research they come up with some ideas as a class so everyone has sort of common goals and common rules that make it easier for everyone to comply to yes exactly so this is my favorite question what are the main things that you wish all parents understood about sleep serena for both children under 10 and for teenagers let's dispel a few myths and give parents a few uh, ideas yeah well i think that an important thing that I already mentioned is uh, these uh, bedtimes and wake times uh, being very regular. That's really what we need. We know that it's uh, such a basic thing that improves our sleep a lot. And that's uh, really true for all ages. Another important thing is uh, is that we do know that sleep changes over time and that during teenage years it's really there are drastic changes and so having some acceptance for that but also not letting go of these regular routines around bedtime and I think that creating a good environment where sleep is really prioritized because parents understand the importance of it is, is really really important. And if you had a sort of a 12, 13 year old, I mean, would you let them have technology in the bedroom at night, their laptop, their PS4, their phone? I think that my idea has changed over the years with this question. So I, a few years ago, I would have said uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I think we still should limit how many things teenagers have access to. But as I mentioned before, I think it's really important to consider that there are different issues here and some teenagers might really need their phone to to wind down they might be reading a book on their phone i mean they are really into technology they use it for anything they have everything in there so i think it really depends if it is a problem then maybe 
we should try and work out to do something about it. But if it's not a problem and if sleep is still working fine, then I think we should let them handle it. And the, the biggest thing there is really trying to find a way to time manage how much technology they use. And I think as a, as a parent, I mean, what you're suggesting is that we pay attention to our individual children, how mature they are, how sensible they are, if they're sticking to your family digital rules and making sure we make it very clear what they are allowed and not allowed to do on that phone before bedtime. Or I think there's a big difference between reading your book on a phone or looking up inappropriate material or texting your friends at one o'clock in the morning. So I think that there's a lot to talk about in families. Yes, definitely. And we still don't know that much about it. But the latest studies really show that, uh, yes, technology use is associated with uh, sleep problems, but not as much as other risk factors, uh, as we mentioned before, for example, parental uh, rules. So um, we really don't know what it is uh, within technology use that make adolescents go to bed too late. And I think a, a lot lies in, in these individual differences. And I remember when we interviewed teenagers that many of them said that once I go to bed, my parents don't really know what I do if I sleep or if I'm chatting with my friends on, on my phone. So I, I think we really need to help them sort it out because our control is... Uh, is a bit difficult uh, over their technology use. So, yeah, I think they they really need to learn how to use their phone and feel like they are in control over it. And, I mean, you're talking about teenagers, not sort of young children or children, you know, under the age of 10, obviously. No, I'm mainly thinking about teenagers here, yes. One of the things, I think it was Michael Gradisar, but I'm not sure, that was absolutely fascinating that I read about uh, recently on LinkedIn was the fact that the arguments with teenagers before bed that can be very sort of emotionally arousing and about whether or not to use the phone or to get off your phone and go to bed, that the actual argument was something that inhibited sleep, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That's very interesting. And uh, I was going to say that for children in all ages, it's really important to create a safe environment when going to bed, that we really know it's something evolutionary that we have within us as human beings. And so that would really be something counterproductive to do that because of course, arguments make us aroused and, and that's uh, the opposite of what we need when we need to fall asleep and relax. So if families are going to have discussions about bedtime routines, sleep quality, sleep hygiene, it's better not to have them at 10 o'clock at night. Exactly. Not, not if it's something that's emotionally charged and uh, if we know that it's going to end up in a fight. Definitely. So I know you focus mainly on sleep in adolescence. Can you explain how does puberty affect sleep? And are there differences you know, in terms of gender, uh, anything that we need to know about there? Yeah, that's uh, very interesting because uh, studies have found uh, an association between uh, uh, pubertal status and uh, changes in uh, in sleep. So uh, those adolescents that are in a more advanced uh, pubertal status, they uh, usually show later bedtimes uh, and uh, shorter sleep duration. 
and girls are usually a little bit ahead of boys and that might explain these gender differences. But what's interesting in gender difference is that when looking at different patterns around the world, you don't really see a clear pattern. It's not that girls always sleep less than boys. Sometimes in some countries it is the opposite. So is it really something biological or is it something cultural? Because there are these differences. For example, in our sample here in Sweden, it's the girls that are sleeping less And when we look at this difference, we notice that they go to bed at about the same time, both boys and girls, but the girls wake up a bit earlier. So maybe they need a little bit more time in the morning to get ready as compared to boys. So I think this is a very interesting difference. But yeah, we don't really know that much about it yet. And what is the impact of sleep deprivation on on teenagers' emotions, their social actions, their maybe their impulsivity levels, their learning? There are more and more studies uh, showing that uh, sleep really has a an important impact on adolescents' day- daytime functioning. So it affects the way we we handle our emotions. It affects the way we we learn and we memorize things. It has and and really a strong effect on how we function during the day. And during adolescence, at a time when you really are developing your social skills. So that's why you asked before why I especially focus on adolescence. And I think that's one of the reasons. So it sounds like sleep quality is sort of like an enormously important thing to focus on because it has such an impact on how our children are able to regulate their motion in everyday life. Yes, definitely. It's. Really, there are so many studies now showing that sleep is involved in so many things. And what's also important is that it's, again, a bidirectional association. So if we sleep poorly and we are not able to regulate our emotions, we might be more prone to end up in worrying and ruminating at bedtime, which in turn is also bad for sleep. So we might end up in a negative cycle of uh, negative emotions and uh, poor sleep. So I'm always asked this question, so I have to ask you, Serena, in terms of home life, we're always asked about siblings sharing bedrooms. Do you have an opinion on how this might impact, if anything, on sleep quality? Yeah, I'm thinking that, of course, uh, sharing the bedroom means that you are exposed to other people's noises uh, and uh, that might affect your sleep. It's the same as uh, with uh, having a partner in uh, in the bed. But there is also another side to this, uh, which is that having a sibling and uh, sleeping with in the same room as uh, someone else, it might also be a security and therefore it might improve the, the quality of your sleep, just having this security of not being alone during the night. So it's it's a little bit double. And if you think about it, there are a lot of cultures where co-sleeping in the same room is very, very common. And I know this is fascinating. We understand that you've also looked into the impact that school stresses have on sleep for teens. Can you tell us a little bit about that specifically and also give us advice on what strategies schools can do to minimize that? 
Yeah, so it all started with interviewing adolescents and asking them what the main reasons for their poor sleep were. And one of the main things that they mentioned was that they, they, they are very stressed about school and they feel like they have too much to do, uh, too much homework uh, and so on. And so when we look at the, the data, we really see that uh, that seems to be the case. And adolescents that are more stressed about school, they also report less sleep and uh, less quality sleep. So it seems like there is a really strong association there. So I think that, again, managing stress, because we can't really do much about it. I mean, adolescents have to do their homework, they have to go to school, and they they have to do all of these things. So we can't remove the stressor that's always going to be there. But what we can help them with is to how to manage this uh, distress, and I think that the schools there again could could help out in that, and uh, maybe having some uh, some tips on how to structure homeworks, uh, like not ending up in doing it uh, the night before they need to end end in something. So helping them out in scheduling and not feeling this uh, acute stress. So again, time management skills. We're back to time management, stress management, all the lovely things that everyone could benefit from knowing. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Uh, and that's also how I I think I view sleep. It's not only in the evening when you're going to bed. It, it has to do with the, everything you do during the day. And so if you feel like you haven't done what you, what you should do, of course, you're going to feel stressed and then you're going to have a hard time winding down and falling asleep. So I think that's, uh, that's really, really important. Uh, and adolescents haven't really maybe develop these skills to get organized and do what they need to do. So they need some support in that. And we know that you've recently started a project with Professor Michael Gradisar, who's been on our podcast as well, assessing the impact of peer interactions on teenage sleep. Tell us a little bit about that new project and what you hope it'll help us understand better. Yes, it's a a very exciting project uh, where we are going to look into a little bit more the mechanisms that explain why using technology at bedtime might lead to to shorter sleep and later bedtimes. And in particular, we are going to do an experiment and we're going to invite only girls to the lab because the majority of studies up until now have actually involved mainly boys. And we're going to look specifically at online peer interactions. So they are going to chat with each other, which is a very common activity that adolescents do, probably the most common thing that adolescents do being on social media. But most studies have actually looked at gaming and uh, that is not really representative of what the majority of adolescents uh, do with their phones. So that's what we are going to look at. And we are going to look at some individual differences, uh, whether, for example, more risk-taking adolescents are more likely to go to bed later when using their phone. Like They might have a harder time stopping the, the conversation and saying, okay, now it's time to go to bed. And we are also going to look a little bit at uh, the fear of missing out. That's a pretty new concept uh, that many adolescents uh, express this almost anxiety of uh, not knowing what's going on on uh, social media. And that's why they might have their phone on and they 
might wake up during the night or uh, go to bed late because they need to be up to date with what's going on with their friends. So you're sort of looking at the motivation behind that kind of tech use? Yes, both that and also individual differences. If uh, teenagers that are more prone to worry about not being up to date, uh, adolescents that are more risk-taking are also more likely to have less control over their technology use. And when will that study, do you think, be published, uh, Serena, so we can keep an eye on it? That's uh, depending a little bit on uh, the COVID situation, because I need to get to Australia and that's not uh, possible right now. But uh, within 2024, I think we should be able to to have done that and hopefully publish the, the study. Fantastic. Well, listen, we are absolutely delighted to have had you on our podcast and we're going to follow your work and we're going to highlight you, as I say, as our June Researcher of the Month for that very recent work that you did that I'm sure will be of great interest to schools in particular. So thank you so much for joining me, Serena. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.